Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Why don't we all stand right now? Thank you so much for being here on this Wednesday night, this Wednesday evening. I feel very blessed to be here. I want to thank God. I want to thank my pastor and, and everybody here. Amen. How many are glad to find themselves in the house of the Lord this evening? Amen. Man, we've done a little bit of remodeling, and so praise God. We want to thank all the lifeliners and Brother Johnny, whoever, whoever else had a hand in that. We want to thank you so much. Amen. We're still, we're about 80% of the way there, so bear with us. And we also want to thank the sound. They just put everything back together right before prayer, and so they've been putting in a lot of work. So we really want to thank everybody who's had a hand in that. Amen. So why don't we go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be starting a series in the book of Ephesians. We got done with a series in the book of Acts. And now we are going to be starting in Ephesians. Pastor felt that he really just wanted to dive into that book. And so today we're just going to go through the first few scriptures. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and give you a quick overview of Ephesians just to get us started in the coming months. But we're going to dive into this. It's a very deep book. It's a book that's written to a group of people with a similar background like us um, in certain ways. And there is a a large amount of theological uh, thoughts. And the term theological just means the study of God. And so it's a more of a, a deeper biblical understanding of something. How many are ready to learn tonight? Yeah? How many came to Bible study tonight? Amen. Come to study the Bible. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read it in the ESV, but let's just go ahead and read the first few scriptures. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, everybody say in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, everybody say in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. Turn your neighbor say predestined. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Amen. Why don't you put your Bibles to one side? Just leave your finger or your bookmark there in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be coming back to it. But let's pray. Would you pray for me as well? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time tonight, this time together. We are being obedient to your word as your word says to come and to gather, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves but to come together in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for a unity in this house. We all come from different backgrounds, but we have come to the same place, and that is the saving name of Jesus. We all have different last names, but we've taken on the name of Jesus when we went down in those waters. Lord, we are your body. We ask you to bring and allow a spirit of revelation to fill this house today. I pray you stir up hunger where people have lost it, that you stir up fire where people have lost it. In the name of Jesus, give us understanding. Bless me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we give God a great round of applause today? Amen. You may take your seats. Thank you so much for standing. Thank you so much for standing. So the book of Ephesians doesn't start in Ephesians. It actually starts in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. Why don't we go to Acts chapter 19? 
And what happened was we went through Acts some time ago, a month ago, and we came to a chapter when Paul was in Ephesus. He was in a, uh, on a missions trip, and he was going around, and he came to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a huge city. It was very large, and there were so many different religious uh, backgrounds, many different ways of worshiping and a variety of religions, very similar to here. You'll see, uh, if you travel in one part of Los Angeles, you'll see uh, synagogues, you'll see mosques, you'll see different temples to Eastern religions, you'll see a bunch of churches and different types of churches. You see all these different backgrounds of religions. Ephesus was very similar. In Acts chapter 19, Paul begins preaching and begins evangelizing, declaring the gospel. And we get to Acts chapter 19, verse 18. And what happens is, is people are converted by the masses. Uh, verse 18, it says this. Also, many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. When the value of these books was calculated... It was found to come to 50,000 silver coins, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. There was huge revival, and you had these people practicing witchcraft, these people practicing ungodly, uh, completely demonic ways of invoking spirits, and there was a lot of spiritual activity, and when they were converted... They brought all their spell books, all of their uh, spells and their things, and they brought them and they burned them. And the Bible says that it came to about 50,000 silver coins. And for us, we don't really know exactly what that means. 50,000, that was similar to 50,000 days wages. So imagine you work 137 years straight and you take all of that money and they burned it right there before everyone because these books cost costed money. And so they burned these things, uh, 50,000 silver coins. Now, Ephesus was similar to a large, diverse city. There were many different belief systems, as I said. And we're going to see a little bit later uh, in Ephesians, but we see it in the book of Acts, that there was a distinction clearly between Gentiles and Jews. And for those of us who do not know, we mentioned that some time ago, but a, a Jew is a chosen child of God a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it'll be as though if God called my father and all of his children and his children's children and children's children's children, etc. If God called him and said, okay, all of your children are chosen, then his grandchildren and their children will be chosen. But you are not a Jesenite. You did not come from the tribe of Jesse, right? You are not part of him. Therefore, you're, you're an outsider. So the Jews, the Israelites... The same thing were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Gentiles were anybody who was not a Jew. Somebody say amen. So anybody who wasn't, right? And so what happens is, is there was a distinction in the church at Ephesus. Why? Because the Jews had a special, specific way of practicing their lifestyle. They ate different. They spoke different. They did not eat the same. Uh, they did not go to the same places. They didn't think the same. And then you have all these Gentiles who are being converted, and they're thinking things totally differently. They live differently. They act differently. And so there's this tension within the church. And so we're not going to get into that today, but I just kind of want to give you a background as you read the book of Ephesians, as you continue moving forward, uh, so you can kind of have that in the back of your mind. So Ephesians, I'm just giving you a quick overview before we get into what we're going to talk about tonight. 
Ephesians is compiled of six chapters. Chapters one through three, they speak about freedom and the change of lifestyle that Gentiles have in Christ. The change of lifestyle that Gentiles have in Christ. Now, how many of you, when you first came to church, uh, maybe it was your first, second, third time, and you came to this church in particular, and maybe you walked out of here and you thought, man, those people are crazy, or those people are different or strange, special, unique, whatever you want to call us, right? I don't know why that guy was rolling on the floor, why that guy was doing a backflip, and why that guy was high-fiving everybody. This place is different, right? It's not like your, your lifestyle that you come from. Totally different. And then you start, maybe we're saying a, a dirty joke, and all of a sudden one of the brothers says, oh, we, we, don't, we don't talk like that around here. You say, whoa, okay, this is, this is different. Or all of a sudden, maybe a, a, you, you're tempted to, and you start speaking badly about somebody in the church, and then another, your life group leader, your Timothy said, no, 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 I'm sorry, we don't, we don't gossip. The Bible teaches us not to do that, right? And so now you're walking in one direction, you come here, and you immediately are turning around, and everything is new, everything is different, everything is beginning to change. Well, Paul speaks to them in the first three chapters and says, look, you have a new lifestyle in Christ. That God has ordained your freedom. He has destined you to be free in Christ. And now you are a part of God's family as you enter into Christ. Is anybody grateful that you are now a part of the family of God? That's an amazing thing to say. I know that sounds like a children's church song. And, uh, you know, you might, they might sing that song, uh, I, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. And you say, oh, man, that's awesome. You know, that's very, uh, that's very nice. Thank you, God, for calling me your child. I appreciate that. You know, I am a friend of God. And we're all, you know, uh, skipping around. And like this is, but the, 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 I want you to understand that for a moment. Uh, understand what this is actually saying. This is saying that you, me, who were once enemies in sin, who were once enemies of God, who did things that people who hated God would do, who thought the way that people who do not respect God as king would think, and we would think and live and speak that way. And God, being the Father, turned to us and said, you know what? I want the nastiest one. I want the dirtiest one. I want the one that disregards me. I'm going to call him my son. I'm going to bring him into my family. I'm going to live and die and think and plan for this one. And not only that, but I'm going to give him my name. Now, that's a huge thing. I don't know about you, but uh, one of the things uh, about growing up as a, as a pastor's child is that there's other, uh, when you go to other churches and your dad is speaking, they'll give you uh, free water and free mints. I have free water and free mints for life. It is a blessing. And it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with my last name. I'm going to be honest. It's not because people like me. They might dislike me. But if their pastor sees my family sitting and my dad goes to preach at their church, they're going to send the usher. They're going to bring us some waters. They're going to bring us some mints. My breath is always fresh. Glory to God. I'm always hydrated. Glory to God. It has nothing to do with me. Everything to do with my name. And God has given us his name. And that is a blessing far beyond anything we can understand. Church, I hope you understand this. The king of the universe says that that's my child. I wonder what, you'd, what you would do if you would walk into places knowing that you have his name on your life. 
chapters 4 through 6 then begin to give us practical instructions of what it is to live as a Christian. You were a Gentile, now you are a child of God, and now what should your life look like? And chapters 4 through 6 gives us that practical looking or painting a picture that resembles of what a Christian life should look like. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. That is our quick overview, our quick introduction to the book of Ephesians. I have 28 more minutes and I'm not going to go very deep into this next thing. I just want to give you a quick cursory overview, a quick look at to the idea of predestination and this doctrine called Calvinism. Okay, so we believe that God is sovereign. Somebody say amen if you believe God is sovereign. Amen. We believe God is sovereign. And we believe that God knows the end from the beginning. Somebody say amen. How many know that God knows the end from the beginning? Right. And so if God knows the end from the beginning, does that mean he knows whether or not you're going to end up in heaven or you're going to end up in hell? Does God know whether or not when you go down in those waters, that you are going to remain a child of God for the rest of your life. Does God know those things? So if God knows those things, doesn't that mean that he chooses for you to end up that way? And this is the idea of Calvinism, that God has destined people individually. And so the question is this, does God destine people individually or does God destine a group or a distinction, a designation of people? And that's what we're going to get in today. So does God know that James Cornejo is going to heaven or hell? Yes, I believe 100%. Did God destine for James Cornejo to go to heaven or hell? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Let's go ahead and read it one more time. I'm going to read the ESV version. Let's start on verse 3. Let's start on verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ready? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this right here? We've learned this, that Christ chose, that we, that, excuse me, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. We also learn that God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ and he made us accepted in the beloved. Okay, let's go to verse 11. Ephesians 1.11. We're just going to skip a few verses. We're going to go to verse 11. I hope you're still following along with me. It says this. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So you see this term, predestination predestination coming up a lot that God chose us that God predestined us that God he wound up that toy and you know when you wind it up and you just put it down and then it starts walking and that God chose he wound it up and now he's just releasing it all and eventually either you're going to end up in eternity in hell or end up in eternity in heaven etc etc 
And so, if God chose you before the foundation of the world, if He predestined you according to His purpose, do you have a choice as to where you'll end up in eternity? The question is, if God knew you before you were born, and He knows the end from the beginning, and He's all-powerful, and He can do anything, why would He allow you to end up in hell? If he's loving. See, these are questions that as you read the word of God, if you're honest with yourself and you say, well, God is all powerful and God is all knowing and God is all loving. Why would he allow me to end up in hell? What kind of a loving God would allow somebody to end up in a burning hell? The question is, do you have any control over it? So Calvinism is a doctrine that teaches that God is so sovereign That he is so powerful, he is so sovereign to the point that you have no choice in the matter. That you have absolutely no choice in how your life plays out. This is a very common doctrine. How many, by show of hands, how many have heard of Calvinism? If you've heard of Calvinism, we have a few people who've heard of Calvinism. This is a very common way of believing in our day. The idea of Calvinism. I remember the first time I, I was, uh, I met somebody who was a Calvinist, and the first time I had ever heard about it years ago, my sister and I, we were uh, at a convention center, and we were walking with some friends, and this young lady was going to a Bible college, and she started explaining to me that she was a Calvinist, and I, I said, what was that? And she said, well, that's the idea that God has elected us before the foundation of the world, that you don't have any choice in the matter. That in the beginning, God lined everybody up and said, heaven, heaven, hell, 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 heaven, hell, hell, heaven, heaven, hell. And it doesn't matter how many times you repent. It doesn't matter if you were baptized in Jesus' name. It does not matter. If God did not select you at the beginning, then you will not be going to heaven. And I thought, what? How does that have anything to do with How do you even get to this view? And so the idea of Calvinism can be wrapped up with, in five main ideas. And I'm just going to break through them real quick. We're not going to dive super deep. For those of you who enjoy studying the Word of God and enjoy learning about different things, you can always look this up after. But it's given by the, uh, by the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And the first one is total depravity. The Calvinist doctrine teaches that total depravity, that human beings are so wretched that we are so beyond repair that there is absolutely no good that you or I could ever do. That there is no good choice. There is nothing that you and I can do. We are so far beyond repair. Total depravity. The second part in TULIP is the U, unconditional election. That means that God does it not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. That means that God lined everybody up before the world began. And he said, this person is going to heaven, hell, 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 heaven, heaven, that God did it, that God did it entirely. The next part, L, limited atonement, is that Christ didn't die for everybody. Think about it. If God only ordained a select number of people to go to heaven, then would he die for everybody? No. He would just die for those who he selected. So this idea of limited atonement means that not everybody, that Jesus Christ didn't shed his blood for everybody. Because if he did shed his blood for everybody, then you would be given an opportunity and a freedom. Amen. But Calvinism teaches that he did not die for all people, only those who are the elected. 
the eye is irresistible grace. And this is a kind of a catch-all. This is how they kind of reconcile a lot of their beliefs. But it's the idea that if God has selected you, if God has had grace on your life, it's irresistible. There is nothing that you can do. In other words, if God chose you and selected you, there is no, you can't go, you can't get drunk enough. You can't get high enough. You can't live a a life of debauchery enough. You can't go to Vegas too many times. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. If God's grace is reaching for you, there's nothing you can do. You're going to have to come to him eventually. So that is their view. That's the I. And the P is the preservation of the saints or the idea of once saved, always saved. That means if you were baptized in Jesus' name, or, or rather if God selected you and you gave your life over to him, however they deem salvation, you can go out and sin, you can go out and party, you can go out and fornicate, you can go out and murder, and you can live that style for the rest of your life. But if you were at least saved once, you're always saved because God's grace. Now I want to tell you right now, that is false doctrine. All of those things are false doctrine. Those are things that we do not believe as the apostolic uh, Pentecostal viewpoint. We do not believe that humans don't have a choice. And we do not believe that God lined people up in the beginning and said, I'm sorry, but you're going to hell. You're going to heaven. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to heaven. There's nothing you can do about it. And we don't believe that Christ only died for a few people. We believe he died for everybody. And we do not believe that God's grace can be resisted. Why? Because the Bible teaches that he wills that all come to repentance, that none should perish. But yet we see very clearly that people do not repent. And then we see the preservation, once saved, always saved. There are many scriptures, and we're going to go into a few a little bit later. Like I said, I just want to give you a quick overview of this. This topic of Calvinism is going to come up again in the book of Ephesians. But I just want to show you right now, this is the mindset. Now, I'm going to teach you something real quick. Most disagreements that people have biblically, they stem from a difference of hermeneutics. Now, I know you're saying, what does that mean? You're talking Greek, Brother James. You know, all I know is Spanish, and that's it. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it right there to English, but I was going to translate it in Spanish. The idea of hermeneutics is interpretation. Turn to your neighbor and say interpretation. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say interpretation. How do you interpret something? So my brother and I, we had this friend who was over self-confident. This guy thought that he was all that and a bag of chips and a full gallon of gas at today's gas prices, 91. He thought he was the bee's knees. He thought he was it. And he, I promise, he would think that any girl that would talk to him wanted to go out with him. I remember we'd walk into Starbucks, we'd place our order, and then the woman employee would call his name, and then he'd go get his coffee, and he'd come to us, and he'd say, she totally digs me. She totally wants me. And my brother and I would turn to each other like, She called your name because it was on the cup. That's her job. Starbucks trained her to do that. If she doesn't do that, she'll be fired. And so his rule, his principle of interpretation was, if any girl talked to me, she wants me. That's his principle of interpretation. It's a rule. Any conversation he shows up in, anywhere he goes, he already assumes this rule into the conversation. Somebody say, Amen, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, praise God. Not amen to my friend. Okay, here we go. So why am I telling you that? I'm telling you, about, I'm telling you that for this. Whether you like it or not, when you read the Bible, 
When you read any text message, when you read any newspaper, when you watch the news, when you're talking to your friend, when you're asking out that lovely lady or you're being asked out, whatever the case is, you always have rules of interpretation. You always have hermeneutics. You're always applying them. I gave this example to a friend of mine a few days ago. But if I text, if you're texting something to, uh, to your wife and you're saying, hey, this, this, that, 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 and then she just responds, K. You think, man, she's mad at me. She's probably going to break. Or if it's your girlfriend, she's going to break up with me. Or they don't want to talk to me. And all they said was K. That was it. Just one, last, one dash down and two to the side. But what? You've interpreted what that K means. Somebody say amen. Or you text them and they never text back. What, what do you interpret that as? They could care less about me. Oh, man, that hurt some of you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But it happens, right? That's an interpretation that you have. Whenever you read the Bible, you have rules that you interpret it through. And so our disagreement with Calvinism comes from this, from this main point that they believe that there's no such thing as free will. And we as apostolic Pentecostals believe that though God has ordained the course of life, we still have free will. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, if there's no free will, it poses a few questions. Why should anyone evangelize? If everybody is pre, it's already predetermined. If you're going to end up in heaven, you're going to end up in hell. Why should we ever tell anybody about the gospel? And what about personal responsibility? Let's say I cheated or somebody uh, cheated on a test or somebody uh, committed murder in one way or another or somebody. All they would say is, well, God ordained everything. It's not my fault. It's his fault. I will never have to go to prison. I'll never have to pay for my crimes. I will never have to pay for any personal responsibility. Every time your child doesn't clean up his room and talks back to you, all they have to say and you come down and they say, I don't need you talking back to me and say, hey, it's not my fault. God preordained everything. Take it up with him. Oh, how many of you parents are letting that one slide? Oh, no. I, that's nobody, right? Amen. Someone's going to take the belt off. Someone's going to pull out the paddle. Someone's going in timeout or however you do in your house, right? And why? Because that child speaking up, no, we know that people have a choice to change. And so the child can easily say, well, it's not my fault. It's not your. So what do we do about personal responsibility? And what about the abundance of scriptures that point to the fact that you and I have a decision? Now, I wish, sometimes I think we all wish Calvinism was true. I'm going to be honest. I think some of us wish sometimes that Calvinism was true. Why? Because we could just go do whatever we want and say, well, I'm sure that I'm the elect. So God's going to go ahead and take me. Or I don't really want to take any responsibility over anything, but I'm, I'm chosen. I'm elected. I'm pre, he predestined. There's nothing you can do. The police officer is arresting you for fraud, and you're like, I'm sorry, officer, but I'm going to heaven. There's nothing you can do. Right? It's, a, it's the ultimate escape from all responsibility. I know sometimes we wish this was true. I'm not praying. I'm not fasting. I'm not reading the word. I'm not seeking God. But I'm the elect. So everything's okay. And I'll say this. Some of us may not believe in Calvinism. Maybe this was the first time you've ever heard of this doctrine. But many of us have lived our lives as though it was true. Many of us have lived our lives as though our choices do not matter. As though the fruit does not actually speak about the root of the tree. 
As though the water that flows from the fountain does not tell about what the fountain is. See, many of us, many times we look at our decisions and our choices and we wish and we live as though it doesn't matter what we do. But brother and sister, I'm telling you today, uh, I'm telling you right now that Joshua 24, 15, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There has to be a believer here today who says, with my choice, with my will, I will serve the Lord. Jude 23 says this, save others by snatching them out of the fire. By snatching them out of the fire. He's saying, go and save them. People are on their way to a burning hell. Go evangelize. Go tell them about the goodness of God. Go snatch them out of that destiny that does not belong to them. Go break them free. Revelations twenty two seventeen says, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. Ready? And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes, the King James, let anyone who wills take the water of life as a gift. What am I saying today? Brother and sister, there is not some, uh, it is not like God is sitting up there and choosing and selecting out of each and every one of you who's going to go and who's going to stay or who's going to go and be with him in eternity or who's going to suffer in hell forever. It's not about that. It comes down to the responsibility of your choice. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. That is good news for people today. Why? Because it doesn't matter where you have been. It does not matter what they told you or how they spoke to you. If God has opened the door, you better walk through right now. You better walk through right now in the name of Jesus. There is opportunity and freedom for anybody at any time. And the name of Jesus is our stay. And so this is good news. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let everyone who hears say, come. Let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. If you choose with your free will, with your desire, if you choose today, then you can have this. All right, the choice is given to all. Turn your neighbor and say, we have a choice. The choice is given to all. And so what is the idea of predestination? If you or I are not predestined, if you or I are not individually predestined, then why are these scriptures saying that God has already predestined us how can I reconcile the two how can I reconcile the two and so I I will say this today the concept of I'll say this Ephesians chapter 11 let's go to there I'm sorry Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 excuse me Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 let's go ahead and read this again it says in Christ everyone say in Christ in Christ We have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ might live for the praise of his glory. Ready? And now he's going to talk about the the converted Gentiles. In him you also, according to his counsel and will, So that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ, speaking about the Jews who were first converted, might live for the praise of his glory. 
I'm sorry, I, I, I skipped a few. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, speaking to the Gentiles, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And so what am I saying? He's saying that when you are in Christ, that you have, who have taken on the name of Christ, that you who are baptized in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, that now you are a part of the body, that now you have been buried with Christ and therefore resurrected with Christ. And therefore, if you have been buried and resurrected with him, what does that mean? That means that you have been predestined to be adopted as children. What am I saying? This is what I'm saying. God does not predestine individuals, but he predestined the church. In other words, God did not look in the beginning of time and said, I'm sorry, James, you can come to me and cry out all you want, but I'm predestining you to hell or I'm predestining you to heaven. He did not do that. What he did say was, whoever is a part of the church, you will be predestined to be with me in glory. And if you want to be in glory, then you got to get into the body then you got to get into the name then you got to have the name called over you in baptism you got to be filled with the spirit of God is anybody glad that you're a part of that family today I don't know if there's revelation in this house or it's just me but I feel like somebody's understanding finally why you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus why you got to be filled with the spirit you better get inside the church you better shut the door and stay as close in as you can there is freedom here there is a destination for the people of God somebody say amen oh somebody say amen come on if you believe it today and the church is the body of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians. And we see that the church was destined to be adopted as children by Jesus Christ. And the church was destined to have redemption through his blood. In other words, you as an individual are not predestined. But the church is predestined as a designation. I remember when I was younger... One of the first times I've ever been in a, lim in a limousine. It was on a Christmas Eve some years ago. And I remember my mom, uh, she told my brother, myself, and my sister to, to keep it a secret. But my father, his birthday is on Christmas. And so, unfortunately, he only gets one gift. But we uh, still celebrate him on the 24th. And so we kind of do... Uh, whatever he wants to do, we like to take him out to eat. And so one year, uh, it was a, I think it was a kind of a rough year, and my mom just kind of went all out. And so she got a limousine, and uh, she said, we're going to go to this all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse, Fogo de Chao. I had never been there in my entire life. They give you a little thing. It's green on one side, red on the other side. And if you put it on the green side... They just keep bringing you any kind of meat, every kind of meat, filet mignon, lamb chops, everything you can think of they're cooking. They just bring it by. It's green. And then if you don't want any more, you feel like throwing up, you put it on the red side. You go throw up, you put it back on the green side. They bring you more meat. And so that was, that was the first time it was, a, it was an awesome experience. And so the limousine driver did not have a record of everybody who he was not checking our IDs when we were getting into the limousine. The limousine driver was not there standing at the door saying, okay, uh, you, I need to see your birth certificate. You, little Janelle, I need to see your birth certificate. I was told I could only pick up five people. If there's six people, we can't. He, he was only given the instructions, we are going to hire you for this long, and you're going to take us to Fogo de Chao, 
You're going to hang out there, and then you're going to bring us back. That was his instructions. And so whoever was in the limousine, if they were able to convince my mom, if, if, her, if my grandma Mary came to my mom and said, I love Fogo de Chao, and I love your husband, let me go, please. And she could convince my mom, as long as she was able to get into the limousine, she would arrive. If my neighbor showed up and said, hey, we want to we wanna bless, we want to give your husband a gift. We heard you guys are going to Fogo de Chao as well. Can we go too? We want to be in the limousine. We want to go with you guys. As long as they were able to get into the limousine, then they would arrive at the destination. It wasn't by their works. It wasn't by what they did. It was by them traveling, by being obedient, by following the instructions. Somebody say amen. I hope you know where I'm going with this. Why am I saying that? The church is like that limousine. And it's on its way to where it was always destined to go. It's on its way to glory land. And if you want to be a part of it, the door is wide open right now. There, It is wide open right now. If you want to be a part of this body, if you want to be a part of this family, if you want to be a part of this group of people who are free from sin, the door is wide open for you. And so... God did not predestine individuals per se, but he destined and predestined, excuse me, the church, an entire designation of people. Somebody say amen. Amen. Can we go to Ephesians uh, chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. And this is what it says. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace, you have been saved. Somebody say amen. Amen. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. In another place in chapter 2, it says, "For, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And not that of yourself, and that not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. So this is the concept that there is salvation here. It is a gift. That salvation, that ride to freedom, is a gift for you today. It was not by your design. It was not by your goodness. It was not by your actions. It was not by all the alms that you've given, whether you've paid tithes your entire life, whether you've prayed for the sick and they've been healed, whether you've seen revival. None of that matters. Grace and, excuse me, salvation has been provided by grace. Somebody say amen. It has been provided by grace. And if you are in that grace, if you are in Christ, if you are in and the name of Jesus being called over you, and you're in covenant with him as he set up, as he designed for us, then you are part of the church and you are predestined to be on your way to glory. Is anybody glad that you are on your way to be with God forever? Amen. Why don't we all stand right now? Amen. God is so good. So just a quick recap before we pray. We understand that we were once Gentiles. We were once lost. We once had a crazy way of thinking. And if you've come to Christ but, and you've kept your way of thinking, then Ephesians, you need to start reading it. You need to start applying it to your life because it's saying you cannot be the way that you used to be. You cannot be the way that you used to be. 
And in all that, what does that mean for us if we are predestined? It means that not us individually, that God did not select you and say, I'm sorry, row three, you're going to hell. and Row five, you're going to heaven. It's not about that, but it's about the idea that God has given everyone that whosoever wills, whoever desires, come, come, come and drink. Is anybody glad that that door was open to people like you and me? Is anybody glad, honestly, that that door was been open? Why don't we give God thanks right now? Why don't we pray and give God thanks? Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for opening the door. We thank you for allowing us to understand reality, for allowing us to understand truth. I pray that every false doctrine is exposed. I pray that if we are wrong, Lord, that if we have failed, that if we have fallen, that you would correct us, that you would expose lies, and that you would draw out truth, that you would expose the darkness, God, and you'd bring us into the light. We were once children of the dark, but now by your grace, by your blood, by your name, we are children of the light. We give ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. We surrender it all to you. I pray your hand be upon this church right now that revival be stirred up in the predestined that revival be stirred up in the church of the living god oh we love you we thank you somebody thank you for saving you why don't you just say thank you lord for giving me the time of day thank you lord for giving me your name in the name of jesus amen let's give god a great round of applause today